0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the Comfort Conversation Show. John Suntress here, convalescing. Uh, Right now I'm in the hospital. Uh, I had a little uh, infection happen on my ankle. It's uh, something that they had to open up to clean out the infection. So I've got kind of a a large wound uh, from the ankle about uh, a little up uh, just underneath my calf. And um, they have a vacuum hooked up to my ankle to suck out all the blood and all the gunk that's in there. I had two operation procedures to clean it out. Everything's going in the right direction. It is healing properly. I am not losing a foot. I am not losing toes. Uh, it's, uh, it's all going to work out. But unfortunately, it is going to be uh, a bit of a long recovery process. So rather than leave you out in the cold, I figured I'd do this podcast to let you know what's going on and also uh, take a moment and uh, take some uh, listener questions and uh, talk about some of the pop culture that's going on. So it's, uh, it's me and you. It's just a two-way conversation today. There's no guest on. But the good news is uh, we'll talk about a couple subjects, provide you with some information. And uh, I should say down the road. Guys and women, I am so excited about the episodes that I have in the can that I intended to release before and after Christmas and around New Year's. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. But uh, let me give you some names. Great long conversation with Tom King. We talk about his uh, Walmart Superman stories, which are amazing. We also talk about, of course, the Batman run where it is right now and uh, getting started with the brand new arc. Um, Then... Dennis Kitchen, the incredible Dennis Kitchen from Kitchen Sink Press, who might you might know through him being the publisher of a lot of Will Eisner's stuff for the last couple decades of his career. Uh, he was also Will's literary agent. But Dennis was an underground comic artist in the 70s and was part of that whole Robert Crumb, Richard Corbin, Spain, all the great underground comic creators. And how did they distribute their books? I mean, we all kind of hear that the books were distributed through paraphernalia stores, head shops, you know, where you bought your bong, where you bought your one-hitter, where you bought your dugout. And uh, it's a really fascinating look at how alternative comics were made and distributed back in that 60s, 70s period. And Dennis was a huge part of it, not only making his own comics – But was entrepreneurial enough to create Kitchen Sink Press and do the dirty work that nobody wants to do. Um, But this is a guy who believed in creators retaining their rights. He took a page from the literary book world in terms of royalties and, yes – he would publish uh, their works for them for a couple years, and then all the rights would revert absolutely back to the creators. So Dennis was thinking along those lines decades before the black and white era, certainly the image era, and uh, it's, it's a fascinating story about how comics were made. Dennis is also a comics historian, of course, not only through his involvement with Will Eisner through the years, but he wrote an incredible biography of Al Cap, the guy who created Little Abner. And I know I've talked about it on another podcast. The story of Al Cap fascinates me because he is the Bill Cosby of cartooning and comics. Um, a very brilliant creator, an innovative creator when it came to merchandising his works. Little Abner had an amusement park well before Disneyland did. Little Abner, uh, he created a character called the Shmoo that was, uh, you know, the beanie baby of its day. Or any other hot toy. And he owned all the rights. And he made millions. But unfortunately also like Bill Cosby. Was a pretty scumbag of a guy. When it came to sexual harassment. And uh, Dennis gives us the whole lowdown. On that chapter. Of Al Cap's story. Really really interesting. Can't wait to share that with you. Two buddies. We've had him on before. Happy to have him back. Chris Iliopoulos talking about his children's books that he makes with Brad Meltzer. It's always great to check in with Chris on the art side. Uh, I Am Neil Armstrong in particular was a very uh, important book for Chris to get out there. We talk about that. Of course, they have their television show in development based on these I Am children's biographies, and we get into a lot of detail with that. Chris's partner, Brad Meltzer, will also be back talking about his new history book, about the real conspiracies to kill George Washington during the Revolutionary War. It's a fascinating story. It's the beginnings of uh, the American intelligence agencies under Washington. And uh, it's another fascinating conversation with Brad Meltzer. And then we also have uh, one of the Tomorrow's books. um, You know how they've been doing looks back at each decade and doing a very granular look at Month to month, things that happened books that debuted, books that bombed uh, the marketing trends as in comics well, they just released their 90s book we've got the author of that book to talk about that fascinating decade of the 90s boom and bust in comics uh, the best of times the worst of times, and a lot of things that uh, we forgot that happened in the 90s, but that's an excellent conversation as well. all of those are in the can. Once I am uh, at the next step of my recovery and I've got access to my laptop again, I will be putting out these episodes in the weeks ahead. Cannot wait to share them with you. It's going to be great. Okay, next topic. I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about some of the uh, television media that's been happening. Unfortunately, I haven't seen Aquaman and I uh, don't have a report. I don't have an Into the Spider-Verse spider-man cartoon uh, report either because again i uh, went down with this infection but certainly i've had a lot of time to watch some tv i thought the uh, cw dc elseworlds crossover was fantastic i liked last year's better the crisis on earth x but i did think this was a really great story uh really great opportunities fantastic to see john wesley ship not only back in his old flash uniform but as barry allen And that was a great opportunity from an alternate universe standpoint. Uh, I thought Batwoman was handled quite well. And I thought that was really interesting. A little confusing in terms of the existence of Batman in the Arrowverse and the existence of Batman in Supergirl's alternate world as well. Um, But that's okay. I kind of like the ambiguity of it, actually. Lois and Clark were fantastic. Uh, I think Tyler Hodgkin, if I'm saying his name properly, is still a fantastic Superman. I thought uh, the actor who played Lois Lane was great. Very excited about uh, the prospects of them going to Argo City and uh, continuing their storyline. And I really hope those rumors are true that uh, CW is thinking about a Superman TV series because I think Tyler Hodgkin is such a great Superman. Um I love his delivery. He's an excellent Clark Kent. He really gets it. And the way they've written him, hats off to Greg Berlanti, Mark Guggenheim, all of the uh, CW superhero team that have been writing these television series and these crossovers. It's the best interpretation of Superman we've got since Christopher Reeve. I kind of think so. You might as well. Love to hear your opinion on all of what I'm talking about as well. Uh, and uh, what I will continue to talk about in this episode, shoot me an email at uh, john at com, and uh, the next episode we'll uh, we'll talk more about this stuff, but I loved the, the uh, CW crossover it absolutely lived up to the hype and I thought it was a really fun show like I said, I did think Earth-X was a little more action-packed and a little more interesting, but I was very satisfied with the crossover The Orville two episodes back I'm digging it, man I, uh, I'm i not crazy about when they focus on Beverly Johnson's uh, characters, kids, the doctor, and her little boys. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a curmudgeon old man and I just don't care about that stuff. But that said, I like the fact uh, that they are focusing on getting a little deeper into characters um, in both episodes. And I think that's smart. That was kind of the right correction course that Next Generation made after the first two seasons. And they kind of realized, you know, we need a Worf episode. We need a Deanna Troy episode. We need a Riker episode. We need to know these people better. And I think all of that moves in the right direction. Of course, the special effects are amazing. Um, The sci-fi problems of each episode are minor compared to the character problems that they're dealing with. Um, I like the balance, and I really do think it continues to find its footing and is the lighthearted Star Trek series that we all missed and uh, you know the wish fulfillment that uh, Seth MacFarlane promised us. Occasionally, you might hear some uh, ambulances in the back. Again, I'm here at the hospital, so l- allowing the live ambience to uh, happen as it does. But right now, I'm very satisfied with the Orville, two episodes in. Um, Gotham, I'm halfway through the first episode. Uh, been busy with, you know, various tests and things they got to do to take care of the infection. But so far, uh, I really like this uh, No Man's Land scenario that we're in. And I think all the actors are doing great. I think the characters are at interesting points. And uh, I I, uh, I have good feelings about uh, what we're getting from Gotham in its final 13 episodes. So I think that's terrific. Finished watching Titans on DC Universe. I loved it. Great show. I think... Um, they're they're not our regular Teen Titans. The characterizations are very different, but I'm okay with that. Uh, I think Dick Grayson was really great. I love the way they portrayed Jason Todd. Um, a little disappointed that Raven is you know as young as she is, but I do like her with the Beast Boy, and I think they're fun together. Hawk and Dove has been just amazing, both the modern version and also in the flashback episode when they really went back and, and gave us the details of their background, uh, they have fleshed out Hawk and Dove to an amazing level. The Doom Patrol episode was absolutely everything you wanted in a Doom Patrol TV show. And I cannot wait for the prospects of the Doom Patrol TV series. Looks just great. They just nailed it. So I got to say, on balance, I really enjoyed the first season of Titans. Um, having delved into Young Justice yet, I know that has just debuted on DC Universe, uh, I will be watching that, and probably in the next podcast, we'll have a few thoughts on that. Love the Young Justice series. It's always been great. Greg Weissman and company knew what they were doing from season one on, and I'm uh, very happy that they have the opportunity to generate new episodes. So all that, really, really interesting. How about Star Trek Discovery? I watched all the short treks. And let's go through them all. The Tilly episode, I thought it was okay. It was kind of like, it reminded me of a decent second or third season Next Generation in terms of Tilly helping uh, the queen think about ruling her planet and, you know, a little interpersonal relationship moment. Um, It was fine. It wasn't, you know, I'd say it was C+, in the most positive way. I would have liked a little more... Story, action, you know, you name it. But I understand these are, you know, 12 to 15-minute stories. So they've got a short canvas to work on. But I do think uh, the Tilly episode was pretty good. Loved Calypso, the second episode. So many mysteries. A thousand years in the future. Is that a temporary status quo of the Discovery? Is the crew dead and the Discovery's just been idle for a thousand years? All of the mysteries in Calypso were fantastic. Michael Sheban at his writing best. Um, I loved the analogies to the Odyssey, and I loved the pseudo romance between the ship's AI and um, uh, I forget his name right now, uh, the character, the main character. But I thought it was I thought it was great. I thought it was poetic in the best way. Michael Sheban's a genius. We know he's working on the Picard series. That only tells me that this is a taste of the kind of smart storytelling we're likely to get with the Patrick Stewart series with Michael Shaban in the writers' room. Brilliant guy, gets it, always has. Cavalier and Clay, his short stories, his novels. Uh, I'm very, very. I was very relieved when Michael Shaban was named as one of the principal writers of the Patrick Stewart Picard series, and I thought Calypso was a an efficient, compact, but excellent story. It really was my favorite of the four stories. The Saru story, I liked it, but I got to say I'm still confused by his race. Um, it reminded me in an interesting contrast to the Next Generation episode, First Contact, where they go to the uh, society that's about to have warp drive and Riker is injured and they've got to pull him out. And meanwhile, Troy and uh, Patrick Stewart are talking to the main scientist and the pseudo-president of that society about joining the Federation. And um, it, like I said, it was an interesting contrast to that First Contact Next Generation episode. But I liked it enough and it filled in Saru's story a little bit more. Love Doug Jones. He's a great actor. I just think there still needs to be a little bit more written about uh, Saru's race. But, uh, and also, I think that's the one that probably would have been benefited by being a full hour flashback episode about Saru's background. I almost think that the limited time worked against it because they had to cram so much information in uh, those 12 to 15 minutes. The Harry Mudd episode, I've, I'm still kind of. First of all, I love Rain Wilson. And I, if I haven't said it before. Very proud of the fact. Went to high school with Rain Wilson. Acted in a play with Rain Wilson when we were kids. I'm sure he wouldn't remember me, but um, because we weren't friends, we, but we were friendly on on the production. And um, he's great, and I love his attitude. I loved seeing him at the uh, Vegas Star Trek convention. I thought he was uh, really funny. He's clearly enthusiastic about being part of Discovery. I think he loves being Harry Mudd. I don't like the idea that Harry Mudd is a killer. I like the original interpretation of Harry Mudd as being a con man and certainly capable of some bad things. But killing just – again, when we when we look at his past in the original series, I don't know. I'm shrugging. Uh, it's a choice. It's I have equal similar problems with uh, Sarek and the way they portray Sarek on Discovery. But what, what can I say? But I, I, if if you love it, awesome. If you're having fun with Discovery, I'm not here to shit on your party. Have a good time and enjoy what you're seeing. But uh, eh, you know, I, I, don't know. For me, the jury's still out. But I loved the twist in the episode. I won't reveal it if you haven't seen it yet. And uh, yeah, I thought I thought it was a really it was a really good one. I would say in order, Calypso was my favorite of the short treks. Then Harry Mud. Then Saru. And then Tilly. And all that said, I didn't think they screwed any of them up. I I think they were fine for what they were. And it was a good idea to make these things as a bridge to season two. I am optimistic about season two. I'm a huge Christopher Pike fan. I think that era, that pre-Kirk era of the Enterprise is fascinating. And there's so much to explore in Christopher Pike, despite what we've gotten in the novels And certainly Jeffrey Hunter's amazing performance in the original Star Trek pilot. And uh, that's a wide open canvas. And I look forward to seeing what the writers do with Christopher Pike and, of course, young Spock. Um, We'll see. We'll see. I'm a little skeptical. I I still have yet to see a justification of Michael Burnham needing to be Spock's adopted sister. But they've got 12 episodes to... uh, Tell the story and, and, and explain it better. And I'm absolutely open to whatever they've got to you know show us in two weeks and very excited to see Discovery come back. And uh, as, as critical as I was of season one, I am an optimist and I look forward to uh, seeing what they do with season two. So uh, there's some thoughts of uh, Star Trek Discovery as we enter uh, season two uh, starting in about two weeks. Let's take a break here and remind you that word is sponsored by aftershock comics. Check out great books like Witchhammer, their first graphic novel from Colin Bunn, beyonders from Paul Jenkins, Jimmy's bastards from Garth Ennis, of course, animosity by Marguerite Bennett. Um, you know, take chances with your books. And that's the great thing about aftershock. These are creators that you love doing genres and storytelling that aren't tied by any sort of continuity. They're fresh new stories. They're great ideas. It's beautiful art. And uh, I think they're doing a great job. And uh, in the weeks ahead, we'll be talking to more uh, creators like Steve Orlando and my buddy Phil Hester and hopefully get Margarita on the show as well. Um, Very, very excited about what Aftershock has coming for you in 2019. But you don't have to take my word for it. Go out, check out full story descriptions, preview art, and, of course, the diamond codes to order the books at your local shop at com. Word Balloon is also brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. League, thank you very much, especially right now, because as I convalesce, um, I won't be at my radio job for a couple weeks, and uh, you're helping keep the lights on, very literally. And uh, your support through Patreon is always appreciated. You don't have to do it. Word Balloon is free. It will always be free. But if you want to help out the cause, you can go to patreon.com slash balloon. But thank you very, very much, especially this time of year, regardless of whether I was injured or not, League of Word Balloon listeners. Okay, I thought I'd wrap up and uh, get some uh, questions from the audience and answer them and uh, you tell me what you think. Uh, let's see. William J. Meyer good buddy of mine who uh, made the Word Balloon animated intro on some of my videos asks, What are your thoughts on Section 31 in the various Star Trek shows? It always struck me as a real-world concession to Trek's ideals, a weird aberration. Yeah, but I also think, Bill, that um, every government and uh, ruling body has a dirty tricks department to get the job done that nobody wants to get the job done. And I love the introduction of Section 31 and DS9. I've enjoyed the novels that have uh, had stories revolving in Section 31 that even go back to the original series era and uh, also spread out into Voyager and the other iterations of Star Trek. Um, I got to be honest. I, I, while I get it as far as how Star Trek Discovery has handled Section 31, um, should I keep it spoiler free? I mean, the the season's out there, and if you're interested, you'd likely have already seen the season. Uh, I don't like the idea of Mirror Universe Georgiou uh, being recruited by Section 31. I understand why, but at the end of the day, this character in particular, again, is a killer, and I think is irredeemable, and I don't think is going to be a lovable rogue or – you know, so like like Sloan. Sloan was always fun. William Sadler, who played Sloan on DS9 and was Bashir's main Section 31 adversary, uh, he was great. He, he he played it with such lightness and fun, but was a dirty tricks guy. And every twist and turn that Sloan had in Section 31 I found fascinating. I also liked uh, what Enterprise did with Section 31 as well. So, I do like the idea of there being this black ops division of the Federation that they don't even know how it's operating. Uh, you know, obviously, great comparisons to the dirty tricks departments of the CIA and the various intelligence agencies we have here in our country. You can look at the KGB, which I do think is maybe a little bit more in touch with uh, the leadership in terms of how they operate. But. Um, No, I like it. I mean, it always intrigued me. Black Ops, uh, I think, is always a very interesting thing. And why not have stories involving Black Ops plots in the Star Trek universe? So I got to be honest, I'm a huge fan. And I thought this uh, is pretty neat. Mike Pellerito, great buddy of mine from Archie Comics. John, when I was in the hospital, I had a med tech who worked at Kamiko. I almost wondered if all this ended, what people's next career might be. So I guess he's asking, what would I be doing if I if I wasn't doing comics? Well, I kind of already do it. I mean, you know, my day job's in radio. Um, I recently started the boxing big bout podcast, and I'm having a lot of fun with that. Can't wait to get back to that and do more interviews. We've only had eight episodes so far, Um, but uh, so I'm scratching my creative itches. And at the end of the day, you know, I am a broadcaster, podcaster first and foremost. Um, I don't need to be talking about comics, but I love comics and uh, have loved my little, uh, you know, episodes that aren't comic centric when I got to talk to people like Tim Matheson and Kareem Abdul Jabbar and uh, Dana Gould, um, Kelly Carlin, George Carlin's daughter. Um, all that stuff is fantastic for me. And it. Um, you know, it, uh, I, I'm just a pop culture guy. So if I wasn't doing this spe- specifically for comics, I would uh, likely uh, be doing it as well in uh, my other interests. Let's see. Who else? Um, Lord Retail. Jermaine Exum, everybody. One of the best retailers in the business. Asked me, do you know which episodes out of all the episodes have had the most downloads? You don't have to say which one. Just wondering if you know. Well, yes, of course I know. And in fact, I made a list, I compiled a list of the top 10 all-time episodes uh, that have been the most downloaded. Believe it or not, 2018 has the number one episode. Uh, It was about Bendis uh, talking about his recovery from his MRSA infection, joining DC. Um, Lots of people obviously downloaded that. And in fact, uh, it is the top episode by a very sizable five-figure number above the, the second largest most downloads. But yeah, and it's interesting because these years and these shows do actually span uh, the various uh, years of Word Balloon. You know, I'm, I'm entering my 14th year, or this is my 14th year. Uh, the 14th anniversary is coming in May. Isn't that crazy? May 10th, 2005 will be the 14th anniversary for Word Balloon. So the Bendis episode, recovery, joining DC, all that information from February 9th of 2018, that's number one. Number two, we go all the way back to 2007, and it's a great conversation I had. It's been a long time since I've talked to him because he hasn't been doing a lot of comic book work, but still does incredible work in animation and live-action television, and that's our good friend Alan Heinberg. And this was around the time that he was doing the Wonder Woman comic and Young Avengers and of course, his excellent work on the television series Grey's Anatomy, one of my sister's absolute favorite shows, and kind of an inside joke with me and Alan, where I would, you know, get her list of kind of spoilery soap opera questions about all the characters in Grey's. And uh, he loved it. And just a good, good guy. I really like Alan a lot. I miss talking to him. He, you, as you know, uh, wrote the Wonder Woman screenplay for the first movie. Uh, non-disclosure agreements that he has with Warner Brothers precludes him from even doing an interview about it, even though the movie's already done. I'm hoping that will change. I have no idea if there are any time limits or anything, but I absolutely respect if Alan says, John, I really love talking to you, but I can't talk about X, then it's okay. You know, he did the Legion of Superheroes cartoon that only lasted those two seasons, but it was so fantastic. Um, so yeah, Alan's great and surprising. Well, maybe not surprisingly, but he's number two, Tom King from March 9th of 2018, uh, right after the, uh, marriage of Batman and Catwoman that didn't happen and Bane declaring the bat is broken. Uh, that's number three. So isn't that interesting Two two of the, uh, representations of, uh, top 10, uh, all time episodes actually happened in the last calendar year. Uh, there's a third one as well. Bendis in July of 2018 is number three. Then uh, we go back to his days writing The Avengers. Bendis um, is uh, also number... So that's... Those are the first four. Number five is also a Bendis tapes. And this one took place when Brian was writing all the Avengers titles. March... Or pardon me. May 18th of 2010. Then here's an interesting combination. Steve Wacker who now is so big in Marvel animation. This is still when he was editing a good handful of the top Marvel books and also was a double feature with my good buddy, Martin Pascoe. And this was from January 25th of 2012. The next one is a Rob Liefeld episode. And uh, hang on one second. I'm going to have to look up that date. So that Liefeld episode was from November 16th, 2011. Then, an interesting triple feature with Dan Slott, Gail Simone, and again, Marty Pascal. This from July of 2011. Then we had a Mad Fraction chat, a Fireside chat, from August 3rd of 2012. And finally, number 10 is is a great conversation with Dave Gibbons from uh, June 5th of 2012. Okay, more questions. Uh, My buddy Noah Cutler, the calculator, as you know, uh, a good friend of uh, Brad Meltzer's as well, has the shift from iPods to phones with podcast playing capabilities to cars now wired to play podcasts changed the format or style of interview you do on the podcast? Not really. Because at the end of the day, these are just you know basic radio-style interviews without the commercial interruptions. And uh, gives me more time to uh, have the wider canvas and I don't have to break every six minutes, remind everyone that, oh, by the way, we're listening to Guest X. Of course you know it's Guest X. You downloaded the show. So the, the technology really hasn't changed the way that I am making the shows. At the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned, this really is no different than me doing radio interviews. Who are my Grail guests that I'd like to interview? Jason Ford asked that question. Uh, it's a short list, Jason, because I've been very fortunate, and uh, with the cooperation of all the publishers and conventions, I've uh, every every time I get to interview, especially some of the Bronze Age old timers. That's a thrill for me because a lot of these creators were my storytellers when I was a little kid, and to to have had so many conversations with Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams and uh i mean these are people that i've already had these aren't grail guests the 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 big uh giant white whale is uh jim steranko jim steranko is uh bendis has described him the orson wells of comics a small body of work but so influential uh from a writing and uh design standpoint um he fascinates me he literally was a magician escape artist he was the inspiration for Mr. Miracle, as you may know, for Jack Kirby in The Fourth World. Um, he's just led a very interesting life and has amazing stories. He designed Indiana Jones before they cast Indiana Jones. It's one of my favorite Storenko pieces is the painting that he did um, that luckily Harrison Ford lived up to in his portrayal of uh, Indiana Jones. But he's, he's just a fascinating guy. And, um, and he's elusive. He's kind of a cross between Orson Welles and J.D. Salinger and has kind of teased me over the years in a good-natured way. Um, you know, I, I, Jim doesn't know me by name, but once, you know, I mean, certainly he recognizes me. And uh, we've had enough conversations off the air uh, where we have, you know, developed a rapport. He knows that I, lo- much like my conversations with Howard Chaikin, Uh, Jim is another guy who loves old pulps and classic movies, and I'm a huge fan of that stuff as well, as you know. So I speak their language, even though these guys are uh, 10 and 20 years, even 30 years older than me, and uh, it's it's a pleasure. So I would say that my one great white whale is Jim Steranko. As much as I admired Stan Lee and certainly would have loved the opportunity, and I am sorry that I didn't get a chance to talk to him, Um, it was hard to get to Stan. I wasn't on the right side of the velvet ropes and that was no fault of Stan's. You know, he had people protecting him and, you know, I'm sure compared to talking to CNN or Kevin Smith or USA Today or any other big media outlet or celebrity, you know, I was small potatoes. So I never really did get a chance to uh, talk to Stan. And that's, that's a disappointment. I'm glad I got to talk to Gene Colan before he passed away. Um, I'm glad I got to meet Tony De Zuniga, the creator of Jonah, Jonah Hex, before he passed away. Um, so uh, I've been very, very fortunate and uh, continue to be. And now with my association with Terrificon, the uh, Connecticut uh, show that I did last summer, Mitch Halleck, our buddy, who uh, puts on an amazing show and always has great classic creators. Those Those are the people that I get really, really excited about talking to because I am fascinated by – What it was like working in the offices back then What it was like uh, being a freelancer I'd like to talk to Jim Shooter At some point And uh, I'm I'm sure that I will make that possible Um So there's another guy that uh, I haven't had on Ramona Fraden The wonderful creator who co-created Metamorpho And Aquaman And uh, she's she's a brilliant woman I really want to talk as well With uh, Trina Robbins Um there, there's two women that I really admire their work. I would love to talk to Anna Seti. I think uh, her follow-up to Frank Miller's Daredevil was uh, incredible, and uh, I uh, would love to pick her brain on the various storytelling she's done. Louise Simonson, uh, Walter's been incredible, and when I see Louise at conventions, she's always incredibly friendly, but I just haven't nailed that time, and God, Louise did so much. As a writer, but also as an editor, and she worked for Jim Warren on creepy and eerie. Um, so I would love to get her perspective on her decades in comics. Um, Linda Lenzman, who uh, is Bill Reinhold's wife, but she was also a very important person during uh, the Bronze Age of comics. Uh, she used to be uh, Barry Windsor Smith's girlfriend. And uh, they – you know, she's the one who found the loft that became the studio where Windsor Smith and Mike Kaluta and Bernie Wrightson and Jeffrey Jones all worked together. And uh, that was a really interesting time. And I know Linda has wonderful stories. And uh, eventually we will sit down and do a a great interview. She's always been incredibly gracious. So I'm really lucky, man. I I really get to uh, talk to a lot of these people and uh, make a lot of these uh, Grail interviews possible and come true. How about my buddy Jason Inman who asks, favorite single issue of a comic book ever? Well, I'll tell you, man. I think that what-if issue of Captain America uh, having survived World War II, Bucky taking over as Cap, and uh, Steve Rogers becoming... Basically, the Nick Fury of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, that's one of my all-time favorite comics. Um, the, uh, the great uh, story uh, that Dave Gibbons and Alan Moore did um, with the Black Orchid, and now it's the, the for the man who has everything. And we finally get Superman's wish fulfillment of what his life would have been like on Krypton. And he's married, and he has kids, and Jor-El is a frustrated political figure whose scientific theories were proven wrong. Krypton didn't explode. Uh, I thought that was an incredible story, and it uh, it still resonates with me. And also just the heartbreak of Clark reaching out to his young son, or I guess Cal, and thinking, I don't know if you're real or not. And then when he realizes it's all been a ploy by Mongol and Superman cuts loose, and he has that great moment where he just says, Burn. And he focuses his heat vision on Mongol. What a great moment. It's always when the heroes take the safeties off and they really let their powers loose. Another great example of that was during Civil War when the Kingpin tried to assassinate Anne May and Peter went into the the cell block and challenged Kingpin, did not hold back. It wasn't even a fair fight. Beat the shit out of the Kingpin. And it's like this is what happens when you try to go after my family. Remember what I can do. Uh, there's that great moment in Superior Spider-Man when Doc Ock is in Spider-Man's body, and he shatters the Tarantula's jaw. And he's like, "Oh my God, he's been holding back all these years." That's really cool when these when these guys are really, you know, uh, just at their absolute feral. And, and ready to attack. That's always exciting to me because that's when the safety is off and you don't know what's going to happen. And isn't it funny that we all know comics and we all know ultimately things are going to work out, but it's that ability to create a scene where you really are shocked by the character moment. I'll give you another favorite character moment of mine, of course, from Watchmen, when Rorschach's in prison and he's in line and the convict is about to uh, shiv Rorschach and he grabs the deep fryer vat and throws it on the guy. And a little prison riot breaks out. The guards are pulling Brorschach away. And it's funny. It's in the movie. And he kind of screams the line. But in my mind, in the comic book, he says it very com- com- uh, calmly and says, none of you understand. I'm not locked in here with you. You're all locked in here with me. That's when a hero is at his most dangerous. And I that always intrigues me when we get scenes like that. Roger Vestal asked, what's my opinion of the Orville? Kind of talked about it earlier. I like the Orville. I really do. I think Seth MacFarlane is fulfilling what he said he was going to do with the Orville. And it's light adventure. And I think it does a good job, as science fiction should, in terms of occasionally addressing social questions of the day. They did that a lot in season one in a few episodes. And... Um, They've got Next Generation and Star Trek people working on the show, and it's the best uh, fantasy and special effects parts of a Star Trek like show. The humor is part of it, but it's not way out in front where it's space balls and a wacky, obvious parody. Um, I like the balance, and I think Seth MacFarlane continues to show that he's a bit more of a credible actor than I think he was initially given credit and i like adrian palicki and i like everybody on the show i'm really glad beverly johnson is on the show as the ship's doctor um like i said my only little quibbles are i really don't care when they focus on beverly johnson's kids um i want to know more about the crew i can't remember the guy's name but the helmsman that's uh mcfarland's best friend i think there's a lot more to explore with him Um, I love the chief engineer. I think he's a great character as well. It's interesting. I don't know if Norm Macdonald is still on the show or not, but I thought he was kind of funny and good comic relief. Maybe that CGI is a little too expensive to maintain, but I I do think this show is still finding its footing, but it keeps going in the right direction. And, um, there's room for lighthearted Star Trek light fare, as well as if you want to, you know, get serious. Why so serious? as Heath Ledger told us as the Joker. But uh, it can work. But I also think that Trek always had, the best versions of Trek always had a little lightheartedness in there mixed in with the adventure and also exploring interesting social questions. And I think the social media episode of the Orville was a really good episode. Uh, I love the episode where um, the aliens have their baby and it's a girl and their species prefer to have males. And I thought that was a very interesting question of, you know, how do you handle that? Um, that's that's when sci-fi, sci-fi is at its best. And I think the Orville is hitting those notes. And um, it seems – I haven't seen what the ratings have been like for these first two new episodes, but I've enjoyed them. And again, I think they're going in the right direction and I hope it's a show that gets – uh, many more seasons t- uh, and a chance to explore these characters and these ideas. Alex Chung asks, What's my favorite recent comic books? Uh, loving what Steve Orlando is doing, both with Electric Warriors and Martian Manhunter. I think that stuff is great. Ta Nehisi Coates is doing an excellent job on Captain America. I'm very excited about Chip Zdarsky's run coming up on Daredevil. I thought Charles Sold did an amazing job on Daredevil, it's one of the classic runs. Uh, Slots doing great work on Fantastic Four. Uh, Haven't read uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick's uh, first issue of Aquaman, but looking forward to it. Of course, my buddies, Tom King's killing it on Batman, killing it on Heroes in Crisis. I really love what Bendis is doing on Superman. Yeah, he's my friend. Um, But unlike the X-Men, which was, I wouldn't call it a chore, but because Brian's my friend, I felt, well, I know I was going to be talking to him, so I felt obligated to read it. I love reading Superman. I love all the cameos that he's been putting in Superman. I love the way that he's handling the planet background. I love the uh, outer space stuff. I love uh, Rogol Czar or whatever his name is, the potential uh, you know destroyer of Krypton. And I think there's some interesting DC cosmic stuff to be explored in that whole area. I think uh, Brian is handling John Kent well. We'll see Coming ahead now that John is back from his trip with, Zor- with JorEl, uh, how he's changed. Uh, I hope uh, I hope he's still uh, John Kent, the John Kent that we love. But we'll we'll see. I'm I'm interested. Uh, looking forward to uh, what Brian is going to be doing with Young Justice and um, those characters as well. What else can I tell you? As I'm thinking in my head, Star Wars books are amazing from Marvel. Uh, everyone's on their top game. And I think they're only adding to the uh, mythos in in the best possible ways. I loved it when Dark Horse had the uh, license as well. But uh, it almost just does seem like Marvel is getting to do a lot more uh, with Star Wars than what uh, Dark Horse did. And likely because now they're all in the same company as well. I'm still waiting for that Indiana Jones book. I don't know what's taking them so long. But I can't wait for it to happen. Um Brian Hitch and uh, Robert Vendetti are doing an amazing job on Hawkman. I love the way that mythos has expanded into space. And uh, I'm intrigued. I don't think issue eight has come out yet with uh, the Hawkman of Krypton. But I'm looking forward to that. And uh, by the way, Brian Hitch, uh, while I've been here in the hospital, sent me an email. And he's like, hey, man, ready for a new talk? And I said, let me heal up and we'll be talking soon. So, I would expect in the first quarter of uh, this year, a new talk with Brian Hitch. And I got to get Vendetti on too because I I, I wasn't really reading his Green Lantern stuff, but I do do think he's doing an amazing job on Hawkman. Love what Josh Williamson's been doing on The Flash. Still very intriguing. Back to Tom King. Great wrap-up to Mr. Miracle. Heroes in Crisis is a very intriguing story that still has a lot of questions. I'm loving Doomsday Clock. I'm sorry that it's on such a slow schedule but i do think it's an interesting uh story and uh intriguing and uh in a way that in a better way than even the before watchman stories were i'm not against that stuff as a reader per se and i certainly respect everyone who doesn't want to even support that stuff because they feel that's alan moore and dave gibbon's territory and nobody else should touch this stuff totally respect that but for me, I got to be honest, if they're making product and it's decent, I am happy to read it, and uh, I do think Doomsday Clock has been great. Gary Frank is an incredible artist, and I think Jeff Johns, obviously, at his best, and I think he's telling an incredible story. So I'm looking forward to what's to come in the future of both the DC and Marvel universes. Um, those are the books in, in, my, in you know, my, my, the front of my mind right now. Uh, I'm sure there are more image books. And um, I've told you before, I like books like from Aftershock. Brothers Dracul is fantastic. I love The Last Space Race. I think that's a really good uh, book that uh, Aftershock is currently doing. I love Jimmy's Bastards. Um, so uh, there's there's another company. Boom, doing great work. Love the James Bond stuff that Dynamite's been doing. Uh, Greg Parker and Mark Lamming are doing a terrific odd job story right now. And, man, Mark is killing it on the art. And, of course, Greg knows what he's doing from a writing standpoint. And I love great James Bond stories. And I have to say, Dynamite has done an excellent job with the James Bond franchise. (laughs) Mitch Halleck of Terrificon asked me, which doctor do I want to see at the hospital? Dr. Strange, Dr. Fate, Dr. Druid, or Dr. Doom? Well... I, I would feel in the most safe hands of uh, Stephen Strange, giving his surgeon background, so I'd have to say him. But I love Dr. Fate. Um, not a big Dr. Druid fan, i got to be honest with you. And uh, Doom is, you know, Dr. Doom's Dr. Doom. He's one of the greatest uh, villains ever. So, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan. So there you go, everybody. Uh, some uh, uh, v- listener questions and uh, some of my thoughts on some of the current TV. Um, I might do another word balloon like this, where it's just me uh, reading some books, reviewing some books, and telling you what I think of them. Um, and again, I've got those five episodes in the can. The plan is, hopefully, this week. It's getting really close to them releasing me from the hospital. I will be at a um, uh, a rehab center to get back on my feet fully and be a little more mobile. But everything's pointing in the right direction. I don't want anyone to worry. I thank you very much for listening and your concern. The support I've seen on social media really means a lot and it uh, keeps my spirits up. So uh, it's it's so gratifying to have uh, the friends and family that I do that have really stepped up at this uh, little mini crisis moment of mine. But uh, the good news is I am, get, I am feeling better. I'm feeling stronger every day and this infection is slowly – uh curing itself so everything's going to be fine and i look forward to seeing you at a convention and getting back on the regular word balloon schedule so thanks a lot for listening uh we'll we'll talk to you in a in a a few days if not in a week or so and do another one of these uh if not uh, from the hospital then uh, i'll finally start cranking out some of those episodes i've been telling you that i've got in the can but until next time Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2019.